Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, genuine, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. How are I you, mate? I just, I just thrown in and a genuine in there as a genuine, well. So genuine. We're not, How we're not just that? positive this week, we're genuine. And family friendly. We're not, this is not going to be full of slurs and racial abuse or anything like that. Definitely family friendly. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We are doing this as a video as well as a podcast. So if you are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast medium you use, do give us a look up on uh, social media or on YouTube as well because we are doing a video, um, which is exciting. It's something a little bit different. We're doing a little bit uh, more for the World Cup and for the Wallaroos after the fantastic performance they put in. Over the weekend. Well, I'm your host, Mitch. I'm also joined by my regular co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you, mate? Yeah, bloody good. Keen to be here. Keen to chat rugby. Fantastic. So tonight we are going to run through, first up, the Wallaroos' uh, second game of the Rugby World Cup, where they did take on Scotland. Um, We will dive into that section first off, and then we'll look at some of the more um, broader World Cup and what happened this week and, and who's coming up next week in terms of games and how the pools are shaping up. Uh, we'll then dive into Australia A and their final tour game against uh, Japan 15 before we look at the Wallabies who have been recently announced or today, this afternoon, announced their, their touring squad for the spring tour, which some big names in, some big names out um, before diving into the locker room. Uh, why don't you run us through our socials, Ando, and then we'll um, get into it. Easy, cool, keen to get in. So you can hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, you just look for Pick and Drive Rugby and you will find us. We also have YouTube, obviously, if you're watching this live. And also, I just want to say a big thank you to the legends that have been supporting the pod over at coffee.com slash pickanddriverugby. That's ko-fi.com. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So thank you so much to everybody who's been contributing there. Uh, Mitch, why don't we dive on into the Wallaroos? Fantastic. Let's get into it. Easy. So we had the Wallaroos kick off, well, actually continue their Rugby World Cup campaign with the much-vaunted match against Scotland, which resulted in a 12-14 victory. Really tense, really hard fought, uh, some pretty big moments from the game. But Mitch, what were your immediate reactions when the full-time whistle blew on this match? (laughs) Which time? So... For those that were watching the Wallaroos, <laughs> yeah, watching this point. game, the the ball went dead, and the referee sort of, I think she blew her whistle for full time. No, 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 she was she she blew it for the ball going out, then paused okay. and was listening to the TMO. Yeah, the TMO so we the Wallaroos all screamed and jumped around thinking they got the victory, but no. Then there was a TMO check, and we went back and uh, had a second yellow card handed out, and another two or three minutes of play ensued from Scotland. before and before the ball finally was spilled and the Wallaroos did get the victory. So uh, overall, it's a very, very good performance from the Wallaroos and and great that they did end up getting to get that victory at the end there. Two yellow cards, one red card, um, lots to talk about in terms of this game. Yeah, definitely. So why don't we just start off? Um, look, the game was really, really challenging insofar as the... Um, probably the worst start that the Wallaroos could have asked for, at least the worst first half, going against or kicking into what was a ferocious wind, um, letting in a try in a a ninth minute, having a penalty uh, try in the 27th, I believe, to go 12-0 down. 12-0 going into the half. uh, Looked like our key playmaker as well, um, Arabella McKenzie, was hobbling with a really bad knee injury. Everything seemed to be going wrong. Um, How did that first half jump out to you, mate? What do you think Scotland did that unsettled the Wallaroos so effectively? Uh, Well, they kept the ball in tight. And that was what was, as we saw really from the whole game across both halves, what was the most effective in in the conditions. The, The breeze was not friendly to both teams. And I think we saw it across the whole day really not just this game but the three games that were played at that oval that no team was really able to really have a good strong kicking game because the breeze didn't allow it we even saw a few times just throwing the ball into the line out if you threw it too high or you kick too high that the the uh, breeze would catch the ball and it would end up taking it where you didn't want it to go 
So in that first half, the Wallaroos weren't really able to do anything running into the breeze. They lost their own lineouts. They kicking very, very poorly. And Scotland, to their credit, held it in tight. They scored that first try through a rolling mall. They scored another one, I think it was through a pick and drive. Um, so It they, was through a rolling mall that was then um, given a penalty try. So there was two rolling mall tries then? Uh, um, no, no, the first one, the first one was a pick and drive in the corner. Um, okay, so I've, I've reversed it. but Reverse them, yep. <laughs> yeah, reverse them, but I, I was on track. Um, yeah, so keeping the ball in tight and, and really not sort of throwing your hand too much, not throwing around and, and opening yourself up to those wide passes was really what ended up being the difference. Uh, interesting, the first half that the Wallaroos weren't able to score any points and with the breeze blowing towards them and then in the second half when it was affecting Scotland, they also weren't able to score any points. Yep. And so I think that what that really meant was for the first half, despite having a significant chunk of possession, 62% possession for the Wallabies within that, Wallaroos within that first half, they weren't able to exit their own half really at all or effectively. A large portion of the clearance kicks um, that Arabella McKenzie or even Laurie Kramer, who was brought into the team for this job, um, were going out just outside the 22 and you'd be expecting them to carve off a chunk more ground there. Uh, so it was really a really challenging effort. Um, across the entirety of the game, the Wallaroos, I think, continued to struggle with the um, the physicality and intensity around the breakdown. And it's something that we highlighted last week as a concern for the Wallaroos, their capacity to muscle up in defence in tight. Um, we saw 189 tackles made, 38 tackles missed for a 78% success rate. That's just not good enough at this level and is yet again for the second week in a row an area that they do need to be improving in. However, with that being said, you had some absolutely gargantuan performances from key players across the match. Grace Hamilton was on fire uh, with the game-high 74 metres within her carries, uh, 10 carries crossing the gain lines as well. Eva Carpani, the K-train, had probably <laughs> her best game in the green and gold and earned plaudits from a lot of pundits around the world for her performance. She was near unstoppable with ball in hand. It was just one of those things where every and she was she was doing these big effective runs and it wasn't just um, like one off runs every now and then she she'd do the run go to ground recycle the ball and she'd get up and do the next run repeat, as well so repeat action so repeat actions and repeat input yep. which was what was so effective for her. Now, with that in mind, there are a few players that I do think we need to shout out to. Um, firstly, I was we've obviously mentioned both Grace Hamilton and Eva Kapani. I think for the second week in a row, Sarah Nagama, after basically getting her um, not, not being in the starting lock picture prior to the World Cup, has had her second full 80 minutes and has performed incredibly well with a great engine, using her footwork and agility in tight really effectively, tackling really strongly. So just massive, massive shout out to Sarah Nagama, pod favourite. Um, were there any other players in your mind that stood out to you? Uh, you've already highlighted uh, Eva Kapani. She was fantastic. Uh, for the second week in a row, we've got to shout out... Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I was going to say BN Terita on the Teresa, wing yep. um, had a great performance, but I'll also uh, shout out her wing partner, Maya Stewart, on debut. Uh, yep. Had some really decisive runs, particularly in that second half when uh, it was a little bit uh, easier for the Wallaroos with the wind against their backs to kind of make some of those line breaks. She she really chewed up some good meters for them. Yeah, I think another player that was um, incredible for the short period of time that she was on was Ash Masters. Um, so despite the fact that she she received a red card, uh, definitely should have been yellow. Definitely should have been yellow. I can understand <laughs> why the referee has given a red card. Um, it might, well, it's being contested at, at the judiciary because when, when you look at it again, her head does... Um, first hit the shoulder of the Scotland Scottish ball carrier and then ride right up within a tackle to hitting the head of the Scottish player. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that can be um, contested and uh, she won't miss our upcoming game against Wales. We'll see. Um, but she was just a ball of destruction when she was on outside of that tackle, um, scoring an absolutely powerful and dominant try, um, bursting through a gap and slamming the ball down. Um, really, really strong in a carry and in defence. She was excellent for the short period of time that she was on the field. And that was the sort of thing that we we kind of needed at that point in the game. The Wallaroos, like they were hanging in there, but they... 
the time was starting to tick on, the, the clock was winding down and they needed someone to come on and have an immediate impact. And that's what she did. And you could see from that performance that the girls around her started to lift their performance. And then they got ahead for the first time in the game and that they started to believe and they started to really get that that drive and that roll on, which which was great to see. One of the things we spoke about last week for the Wallaroos was that their bench didn't have the impact that we were kind of hoping for. This week, some of the girls that did come off the bench really did have some good performances and and put in some good effort. So that's a pleasing thing to see that in that one-week turnaround, we've had a little bit of improvement there. Maybe not necessarily the fitness levels that we still think is required to get them deep into a tournament like this World Cup. Um, but, you know, as the as the weeks wear on and the more game time these girls get together, uh, the better that they're starting to look. The only thing that they could have done better is get the bonus point win. At the very least, they've got the win and have put themselves in a really strong position to be making that um, quarterfinal scenario. So uh, why don't we go final couple of comments about this match before we move forward um, and then talk about the rest of the matches from the weekend. So any any final comments that you wanted to make, mate? I felt kind of uh, disappointed for Scotland at the end there. They they did very well as well. Like we're, we're Aussie rugby fans. We're sitting here talking up the Wallaroos. But um, Scotland haven't won a game in the World Cup. There was a stat that came up in the game since I think it was 2006 against Switzerland. So they would have been looking forward to getting a, a win at the World Cup as well. And things were looking like they were going their way. Their defense was huge in this yep. game. The Wallaroos... Yep just kept smacking the line and smacking the line and they weren't getting through. The defense by the Scottish women was outstanding. And ultimately the amount of possession and time that the Wallaroos had in the opposition 22 in that second half, they were going to let a try in. Um, But credit to Scotland, like that was a mountain of tackles they got through and they kept them out for a very, very long time. Yeah, exactly. And so just looking through all that, I think we do need to say, look, it's, it's good to be on the winning side. And it would be really, really hard to be a Scottish supporter considering what happened last week in, what, the 85th minute of the match against Wales as well. Um, so definite commiserations, but as a long-suffering Wallabies fan, uh, we'll, we'll take this opportunity to revel in a win, won't we, my friend? <laughs> we we'll take it. We take it. We'll, we'll definitely take it. The thing I wanted to finish off with is a uh, a tweet from Squidge Rugby about Ash Masters. So listen to this one. Ash Masters comes on, seven carries, Three tackles, scores what might be the winning try, gets sent off. I've had entire seasons less eventful than her 15 (laughs) minutes. So absolutely love that. And I actually think that that is a wonderful time for us to just drop in the fact that we are going to be recording a preview of the Australia versus Wales Rugby World Cup match, which is getting played next weekend, determining basically if our sides are going to be going through into the quarterfinals. We're going to be recording that tomorrow with Squidge live on YouTube, live on Twitter. You'll be able to access it from any of the platforms. So make sure that you get involved at 8 p.m. Sydney time. So 8 p.m. Sydney time with Squidge Rugby. We're very, very excited. Uh, Why don't we move on and start talking about the rest of the matches? Fantastic. Let's keep moving things along and I'll run through these results and you can have a, um, a highlight of anything that you thought or bits that you got to see from these Sounds games. Great. So we saw the Scotland and Australia game 14-12, a real nail biter there. Um, the USA and Japan game 30-17 to the USA in that uh, that game there. And then France and England, uh, which was called the Le Crunch game. Now, I don't know where what that's actually in reference to. Do you have any idea what that uh, means, Ando? Uh, no, I don't know if there's a history behind that yeah. being the nickname for matches between those two teams. I'm not sure. But across these three games, I mean, we've already spoken about Scotland-Australia, so I'll just briefly touch on USA-Japan. That's a really fun game. I recommend that you go back, uh, listeners and viewers, if you do have some time, at least check the mini out for it. Japan were fantastic. Really, really enjoyable match. And their early early um, attempts to stifle and use their skill and speed to get around what was a stronger and more physical USA team was really, really entertaining to watch. Um, Then number 11, who I don't have the name for right now, just quickly get up as I'm talking. Um, Then number 11 scored one of the best tries of the tournament. It was Komachi Imakugi. So Kamachi Imakugi scored an amazing try with a, um, a an American chip through over the top or a bomb over the top. And, um, 
Imakugi comes through at pace onto the ball and then just weaves and sighs almost in slow motion through the entire USA defense for an amazing try. So I recommend you go back and watch that. And then we had Le Crunch. Now, for me, watching this, I found it... um, In some ways, I was hoping for more in terms of edge of your seat, excitement, flowing rugby. That's that's what I was looking for. And so if you're looking for that from a game, this probably isn't the one for you. But if you're looking for high stakes, high intensity, and absolutely incredible, incredible defensive effort from a French team um, under the pump, then go and watch this match. Um, So... England scored 70, uh, had 73 tackles. If you're not looking at the stats, Mitch, can you guess how many tackles France made? England, 73. Uh, 230, I'll say, and I don't have the stats up in front of me. You promise you don't have the stats up in front of me? I don't have the stats up in front of me. 227. (laughs) that that. is incredible my friend (laughs) yep so three times the number of tackles literally a little bit more than three times the number of tackles uh france had to make the territory was 30 to france 70 to england across the entirety of the game 33 percent to 67 percent possession this was a game that france did not deserve to be in at the end of the match with a chance to win it, but they were, and that just speaks volumes about the the doggedness and the willingness of this French team to never give up. It also does say something about the English inability to be able to break the line despite having immense amounts of uh, pressure and possession, but that's, that's a conversation for a bit more detail, probably that Squidge will go through in one of his videos coming up this week. No doubt, no doubt. And if we move across to the games that were played early today or Sunday the 16th of October, uh, we had Italy and Canada. Canada getting the chocolates there, 22-12 over Italy. Uh, Wales and New Zealand. Now, Squidge is probably not going to be liking the result of this one too much. Probably but New not. Zealand did come away well and tru- truly victors, 56-12, to 12, which is putting their, uh, you know, their, their title's favourites for this World Cup or at least favourites to get into the final uh, well and truly into place. And then a really tight f- finish from this game between Fiji and South Africa earlier this mm-hmm. afternoon. Uh, Fiji getting the victory there, 21-17. Now, I will say to those who haven't seen any of these games, if you've only got five minutes, go back and watch <laughs> the end of this Fiji-South Africa game because it is incredible and intense. I I com- completely agree with that. I think uh, one of the, one of the ways that I described it in um, our group chat when we were chatting earlier is, oh guys, have you watched the game? Uh, if you don't have much time, just watch the mini. If you don't have that much time, just watch the last five minutes. If you don't have that much time, just watch the last one minute and twenty seconds because it is incredible. So basically, um, as as you would expect, and we'll start in the last match with Fiji South Africa. As you would expect, Fiji have continued in the same vein that they showed in their first match against England, and they're playing the ball basically from anywhere. They get a penalty in open field, they just tap it and run, tap and run. That is just their modus operandi. And um, in South Africa, in many ways, that didn't adapt as well as they could have to that. They probably should have tried to slow the game down, bring it more into set-piece play, uh, and use the strength of their forwards to try and control the game a little bit more because they have some amazing players, um, particularly Cesar Hele is just the form and standout number eight of the entire tournament. But Fiji, um, sorry, I should say South Africa, get a try to Hele in the 59th minute. They then get a conversion in the 60th and that then puts them ahead. Um, and then there's a penalty to uh, Janzi van Rensburg in the 79th minute to put them 17-14 ahead. Okay, so 17-14, 79th minute. The kickoff is done. It's done short. The Fijian, I think it's the number 12, is able to get up and tap the ball back. They play it all the way down. They get a penalty 15 metres out, directly in front of the sticks. And do they even think about possibly going for the penalty kick? Absolutely not. The number nine just takes it, taps it, gives it straight away to Nisewa, who barges over from in close for the try. It was just absolutely incredible. So I recommend that you go back and watch that game. It was just so good. Fantastic. And and that's another one of the, the highlights of this World Cup that there are some games like the Wales and New Zealand one that the score does blow out a fair bit. But for the majority, these games are really tight. 
And there's no one that's getting absolutely pumped by their opposition week in, week out, like some of the minnow teams we see in the men's version of the World Cup. So it's overall a very competitive competition and um, it's a great level of rugby and a real spectacle of what the best of the sport of rugby union can offer. Completely agree. And we'll just quickly touch on the Wales-New Zealand game. Um, It's interesting as the scoreline is in terms of seeming to communicate absolute dominance from New Zealand. I wouldn't say that this was a poor performance from Wales. It just seemed like everything that New Zealand did turned to gold. It's and and it's not as simple as that, but it just looks like that from your first viewing. Um, there is an element to this that I found quite interesting. Uh, do you remember what we said about the Fiji versus England match last week and what Wayne Smith might have been thinking as a result of that? Uh, no, I don't remember off the top. Oh, okay. So basically, Fiji unsettled England a f- huge amount within the first kind of 20 to 30 minutes of the game by playing this really high up tempo, taking quick taps, and just not letting the game get settled and structured. You saw that happen far more from New Zealand within this game than I've seen them within the last kind of three or four matches that I've been able to watch. So I think that Wayne Smith has seen what what Fiji did against England and has said to New Zealand, we need to play with more speed, with a higher level of tempo to try and prevent England from settling into a rhythm and we're going to practice it against Wales. And so there were far more quick taps, far, a couple of amazing crossfield kicks that were put into play, uh, just really good offload game that was brought as well and everything that New Zealand did, they had the skills to back it up and the fitness to do it across the entirety of the game. So I think this was less about a poor Wales performance and more about just an incredible New Zealand effort. Yeah, and that's and that's what we've sort of said last week as well, that New Zealand is is easing their way into this World Cup and they started slowly against Australia last week and they finished the game very strongly and they're putting in a great performance this week, as you've highlighted. They're altering their game plan as they're sort of seeing how this opposition is forming. And that's one of the, I guess, uniquenesses, unique elements of mm. the Women's World Cup is unlike the Men's World Cup where for the majority, uh, everyone in the top, 10 nations of the world really play each other quite frequently. If you're not playing them every year, you're playing them every second year. But some of these women's team haven't played each other for years or since the last World Cup. So New Zealand up against Wales, up against England, the women's teams haven't had the opportunity like the men's to get this exposure to the different Mm. styles of play um, from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. And that's what we're starting to see by these top teams, that they're adapting their game styles. They're adapting the way that they um, play the game and the decisions that they make on the fly through the tournament, particularly in these pool stages. So when it gets to the semifinals and the finals, they're ready and they know what type of rugby they need to be playing to get their hands on the trophy at the end of it. Exactly. I think they're building well and let's see how the final game of the pool rounds for New Zealand go up against Scotland. So why don't we actually move to that? Why don't we move to the upcoming games? So currently the well, standing, actually, actually, we'll start with the yeah, standings. We'll start with the standings. Standing so pool first. A is New Zealand, Australia, Wales, Scotland, 10-4-4-2. So Australia and Wales basically are playing off this weekend for a confirmed spot in the quarterfinals. So that's very exciting. Um, If Australia does lose or Wales do lose, there still is a chance that they can get through. However, it's going to be a lot tighter uh, because of um, some of the other teams that are and the points that they have. So let's let's just see how that goes. Moving on to Pool B, Canada, Italy, USA, Japan, 10-5-5-0. So, I mean, Canada's obviously through, and then a really significant match, um, both for Italy and USA. So Italy's playing Japan, and USA are playing Canada, both needing points to be able to get through, because their points for and against are basically the same, plus two and plus one. So whoever can scrape a bonus point or a win is then confirmed going through. And then in Pool C, we have England, France, Fiji, and South Africa, 9-6-4-1. So at this point in time, you have New Zealand, Canada, and England basically confirmed going through. You then have most likely Italy from Pool B going through because they're playing Japan and should be able to get a win against Japan. Then you have France going through as well on six points from Pool C. So you've got two, four, five positions definitely locked in um, and a few more up for grabs. So there's still everything to play for which brings us to the fixtures for this coming weekend. Australia versus Wales is the first match starting off at 12.15 Sydney time on Saturday. You then move to... Actually, I think it's earlier than that. 
I thought the game was at eleven forty-five from what I saw, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then he well, had this New is Zealand... straight off the this is straight off the website. So straight off the website. Okay, cool. Um, then you have New Zealand versus Scotland and France versus Fiji. So the big crunch match there is Australia versus Wales for that. Oh, second it's twelve. Guarantee. So did you say before it's twelve fifteen our time, two fifteen local time. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Um, and Australia versus Wales will be the big crunch match to see who gets guaranteed entry into the quarterfinals from Pool A. Then moving on to Sunday, we have the Japan versus Italy matchup to start the day, Canada versus USA, and then England versus South Africa. South Africa reeling from the heartache of their final minute loss against Fiji. So still so much to play for. It's been an incredible, incredible World Cup so far and very much looking forward to the final round of pool matches this coming weekend. Yeah, and as we sort of highlighted previously, we are doing a preview for that last pool game for, between Australia and Wales tomorrow night live on the podcast, on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter. I think you can see it as well with Squidge yep. Rugby. So do get uh, along and watch that and do send your questions in. If you can't get into the live stream, um, you can't make the time for whatever reason. Send in your questions to us, uh, DM us or whatever way. Send your questions in and we'll make sure that we do ask Squidge because he has fantastic rugby brain and we're very much looking forward to being able to pick that and uh, really uh, really preview this game. It's going to be a, a really big game, I think. Both teams are really going to be up for it. Very, very keen. Well, why don't we move on now to the Australia A match. So um, on Saturday, no, was it Friday? It was Friday night, wasn't it? There's been so much rugby this weekend that it's really, really hard to know what has happened. Um, but on Friday, I'll just assume that it was, we had an incredible game where Japan 15 prevailed 52 to 48 against Australia A in a 15 point or 15 try match like how how often does that happen a hundred points scored within a game and finally japan were able to get a win on the scoreboard still going down overall in a series two one but despite scoring more tries australia scored eight tries to seven our kicking performance let us down with the home team kicking eight from eight so uh, with seven of those being conversions and one being a penalty so it was an amazing match to watch kind of kind of ridiculous Kind of stupid with the amount of tries that were scored. Uh, immediately from this game, what? How did you feel in response to this game finishing? It was a it was a mixed emotions. If I'm being completely honest, uh, it was a fantastic game. First of all, to watch and the way that the whole sort of three test series has been, it's been fantastic to watch as a fan and just the free flowing rugby, the way the referees approached it, the fact that there was minimal intervention from the TMO, minimal intervention from the referee himself. No overly pedantic calls were made. Um, the rugby really did the talking. So that was really refreshing to see from, uh, I guess, the rugby championship that was a bit marred by some refereeing decisions and just getting the sport quite bogged down in the intricacies and the, uh, I guess, nitpickiness at times of some of the referees and the refereeing performances. So it was really refreshing. Um, it was fantastic to be able to see some of the players that we've sort of talked about as being Wallabies, Bolters or Potentials, getting some some game time at this level and seeing how they go in this test arena. Um, we'll talk a little bit later around the Wallaby squad that's been announced and some of the players that did get named in that, but it was fantastic to actually see uh, the performances from some of those guys and they really put their hands up. Completely, completely agreed. Um, so for me, when this match finished, I was a bit exhausted. Um, it started to feel like... There's a part of me that I've absolutely loved how many tries were scored and how much attacking rugby was on play, on display. But at the same time, what it really just demonstrated was a significant lack of connectiveness within or connectitude, connectivity in our defensive structures. And that was one of the really concerning elements where... Um, as an example, I mean, we're going to talk about Suliasu Vunavalu in more detail, I'm sure, soon. But for that very first try in, what, the, I don't know, second minute of the game or something really, really early, um, where Japan basically just grubbed it in behind and Donaldson got back to take the winger who had the ball. And then Vunavalu is coming across and also goes to take that player and doesn't trust Donaldson to get it and doesn't then cover the supporting player that gets the offload. It just shows some of the concerns that 
people have had and obviously the coaching staff have had about is a defensive understanding of the game um, where a more experienced player within a back three who's kind of doing that pendulum approach and having to shift across and be in that fullback role for a moment would have understood that Donaldson hadn't covered and then taken the supporting player. Um, and there were just moments like that throughout the game where just the defensive integrity wasn't there. The players were putting effort in, but obviously weren't communicating, didn't trust the people inside or outside of them. It, it was honestly, it, it was a poor defensive effort. There were times where uh, Japan scored a lot of their tries from counterattack, which is what really we shouldn't be surprised from a team that's able to score points from a counterattack because we go up against New Zealand so, so frequently. I don't think we were expecting Japan to be that type of team, but when you take into account the coaching staff they have, it's not Mm. um, something that we shouldn't have been aware of. But what I noticed a few times in this game was that in attack, the the backs particularly were out of position a lot. So Mark Nwanganiduasi, for example, was popping up on the right-hand wing when he was playing left wing and leaving that wing exposed. Um, Tom, ba- uh, yeah, Banks was coming into the line a lot uh, and and having good involvement when we had our hands on the ball. But what that meant that when the ball got turned over, uh, even if from set piece, a few times where the ball got turned over in our own line out um, and those players were sort of set up for some kind of trick play or something and they were out of position. And then J- the Japan 15 make a gap, make a, the line break um, mm-hmm. through a, a poor ta- tackle attempt at the line and then they're out of position and so we're scrambling from that point and then they ended up scoring off it. So there was a few times where we weren't in position defensively and players were sort of overcompensating for that. And when we've got a na- the nature of this Australia A team, like I sort of mentioned last week, it's very barbarian style. We've got players mm-hmm. coming in and out all the time. They haven't really had a lot of game time to get to know the players inside and outside them and and build those bonds. And when you are out of position and you're trying to get back to get into position in a defensive effort, when the ball's under the pump, that's when you lead to tries getting scored. Yeah, I think um, looking at it from the opposite perspective then, I think Jamie Joseph as the Japan coach is going to be pretty concerned that his team shipped 48 points uh, despite only having three changes to the starting 15. So they they had, look, I'm not going to say it is their test team, but it is a very good te- Japanese team full of test players. And you know that he's going to be using these games to prepare his team for the World Cup. So definitely they're wanting to have a really strong performance and shipping 48 teams against what in essence was uh, yeah, almost a Barbarians-esque Wallabies team um, was just would have been concerning from their perspective. Um, but with that being said, there were some players that stood out and I need to, I need, I need to um, have a bit of a confession, a bit of a moment <laughs> of public um, honesty. So there was a point last season where uh, with a couple of, couple of our mates, uh, Mitch Rev Evans is one of them. We were talking about some of the Melbourne Rebels back rowers and he was talking up um, Brad Wilkin because he, he knows him, he's mates with him from school. And I was just saying, look, I just haven't seen enough of him. I actually rate Dickie Hardwick or Adam Hardwick, uh, Richard, sorry, Richard, Richard Hardwick, Hardwick. Over, over him um, more because I've seen more of him and he he puts in 80-minute performances as much as he can, whereas Wilkin had seemed really injury-prone. He just hadn't strung many games together. But Brad Wilkin on this tour has been immense he has been absolutely incredible and i mean we obviously know that he hasn't got a spot in the touring squad for the wallabies but they could have done worse than picking him he was excellent for the australia a team over the last three games and i've been really really impressed and can't wait to see him develop more in super rugby this season he has he did have a really good tour and uh, well good series and uh it's it's fantastic to actually see that he's getting that game time consistently he is a player that's sort of been promised and we know the potential that he can do. Coming out of the Australian schoolboy system, there was a lot of talk around him being sort of the next David Pocock and the next big international flanker. But through injury, he just hasn't had enough game time and consistency to be able to to get selected at the Wallabies level or to put enough minutes into a super season to qualify for that. And unfortunately, it, he's, a, he's an open side flanker. Um, if he was maybe a blindside lock, we might be he might be included on the tour. The fact is that in this Australian team, 
we yeah. don't need any more flankers. And that's just what's unfortunate. The talent that any, we have. Yeah, open side open flankers. Side flankers. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any yeah. open side flankers. The talent that we have in that position is just unrivaled around the world. Michael Hooper, Pete Samu, Fraser McCright, now Brad Wilkin. It's we even the names of players that we've lost over the years, like Liam Gill, who is as talented as some of those players as well. We just can't fit them into a 23 consistently with that game time. So yep. Yep. it is unfortunate, and I'm not surprised that he's not on that tour, but I am expecting big things from him uh, in 2023 for the Rebels. Yeah, big time. And uh, big shout out. He also got a um, an, a ceremonial samurai sword as his player of or man of the match performance from last week. Found out that he got that, so that's that's awesome. That'd be yeah. So I did cool see that after the game that the um the two captains do exchange, and I don't know if this is captain to captain or man of the match or however it works. But I did notice after the game, Ryan Lonigan was handing a set of um, I think like the Aboriginal clapping sticks over oh, to the Japanese and was getting yeah, a cool. samurai sword in exchange. So it's great to see that kind of, it, although we are there to play rugby and bash the crap out of each other on the field, when the whistle's blown, the players are there to exchange cultures and to, to get to know each other and to build those relationships, which is fantastic to see from this tour. Yeah, definitely. Who else, so, um, who else stood out for you in this as, as a positive? It, we'll, talk, we'll start with the positive players first. Who else stood yeah. out to you in the series or in this game? I guess, I guess if we talk both about the game and the series, uh, you can't really go past... Um, I, I, there's actually many, which, by the way, just before we go into the specific players, how good is it that we have so many players to be talking about in terms of positive involvements? And it just validates the whole purpose of this Australia A system. Now, we know that we'd love an NRC, we'd love a broader competition to be giving more players more game time. But as a basic concept, as a filter or a, um, a funnel into the Wallabies setup, this tour has been fantastic. So, yeah, well done. Well done, RA. This has been great. Um, but for me, I think I can't go past my boy Ryan Lonigan. I mean, I don't think he is the primary performer from this series, but I just thought he's been excellent. And he's definitely solidified himself as that fourth scrum half option. Um, so I'm not saying he's better than Tate or Jake or Nick. Um, he's, he's definitely up there. Uh, but he, he was definitely better than Bobby Tuttle. You could see the difference um, between them when they swapped out throughout these games. Yeah. I just think he he was in some ways a step above other players on the pitch. Uh, not all of them, but the, he, he was one of the standout players, I think, in terms of the speed and accuracy of his delivery. Kicking game was on point most of the time. Defensive efforts were great. Didn't do much sniping around the ruck. I'd like to see his running game develop, but he was he was really strong. How about you? Um, and he was one, just on Ryan Lonigan as well, he's one of those players that he was the captain for this series and he's one of those types of players where the captaincy doesn't seem to affect him too much, um, which is great to see. Some players, when they are named captain and they don't have a whole lot of experience, they seem to overplay their hand a bit because they're trying to do too much and to have too many involvements, whereas he didn't seem to do that and he seemed to gel quite well with the team around him and um, it seemed like a good option by the, the coaches to select him as captain. So that's a good option going forward when we kind of look towards the Wallabies at the moment and Michael Hooper and, and James Slipper below that level. That's something we've, we've been talking about for a few weeks of that leadership. Who's that clear person who's putting their hand up? Having Ryan Lonigan in the in the wings and coming through is really promising for um, the future of Australian rugby. Um, I'll, I've got to shout out the wings um, yep. And being a New South Wales Waratahs player, can't go past both Mark Nwong and Idawasi. I think he's the player of the tournament. He's he's had a phenomenal series, and he this yep. last game he was doing a hell of a lot. Like he was popping up everywhere, and in some ways he's probably overplaying his hand a little bit. But he was having some really really solid involvements, and it was really promising to see that he's finally starting to get to that level. Um, where we probably were hoping he was maybe at the beginning of the year or towards the end of last year, but he's really starting to get settled into the into this level of of, um, of rugby, and mm -hmm. he's looking really good. The other player that, um, is Dylan Peach. I think his involvement when he came on late in this half and the involvements that he's had, either starting or off the bench in this whole tour, he's looked really promising, and he just looks, again, we've said it in Super Rugby this year, that when he finds himself in space, he doesn't panic. He makes the right decisions. He knows how to finish, um, which we can't really say for every single winger in Australian rugby at the moment. 
Agreed. So a couple of other players we might just quickly quickly go through. We've already mentioned Brad Wilkin, uh, Wanigan Peach. Pony Farm Silly was really good with his involvements. However, it looks like he has quite a serious knee injury uh, yeah. that happened about midway through this game. So hopefully it's not too bad, but he's somebody that's really, really struggled to get uh, minutes on the park consistently, despite the great athletic promise that he has. Uh, ben Donaldson's performance has been rewarded with a call-up to the Wallabies, so we'll get to that when we get to that section. Um, and I thought Ned Hannigan was also really strong with his performances across the um, across the full series. Uh, a player who really didn't take his starting opportunity particularly effectively this week, I thought Ryan Smith, um, mm-hmm. I thought he struggled. And a difference, particularly with the restart um, takes when he was subbed at halftime for Caden Neville was quite significant. So um, that'll be in, that that'll, that was a disappointing game for from him, but he's definitely a talent moving forward from the Queensland Reds without a shadow of a doubt. So I think we can't avoid it anymore, mate. Siliasi Vunavalu. Um, performance within this game who subbed out early Dylan Peach took over and showed him how to play the game of rugby more effectively. Um, I just, he hasn't been selected for the Wallabies. What, what do you do with Silly? It's really disappointing because we were we were expecting him to make massive involvements in this Australia A Tour. We've seen him be involved with the Wallabies for the, the England series and then the Rugby Championship. He got 30 seconds off the bench in the end of that, that third test in Sydney against England. Didn't see him again for the rest of the champs. Uh a lot of people are saying, where is he? Give him some minutes. We want to see what he can do. Uh, there was murmurs from uh, from Dave Rennie and, and the Wallaby staff that he wasn't quite ready for this level. And we've now kind of seen through this performance in Australia, hey, that he's not. And it's disappointing because Rugby Australia throw so, threw so much, so much money at him. And we said, it. we was talking about it privately in our group chat again. Um, and it's disappointing because if he was a player like, Mark Nwanganidawasi, for example, who's come through the system, who hasn't been thrown billions or millions, sorry, of dollars at and come across from league as a marquee signing. We're probably not talking about him. We're probably not saying that we need him to be performing well. He's the savior of Australian rugby, all of these things. But the fact is that he is. He, he came across on big money. He has the potential to be a fantastic player. He just hasn't had the, the consistency of game time, the selections that he probably needs to be comfortable and I mean you can't fault his efforts he was trying to get involved a lot in this second game in this in this uh, third test of this series um, we saw it in the second test too he was trying to get involved a fair bit the first test he was a bit quiet didn't go looking for the ball as much but ultimately he was still frail in his defense he was making the wrong decisions he was forcing passes when they weren't on he wouldn't take the ball to ground at times. He would try and offload it and it ended up being knocked on or turned over. Um, it's just, it's unfortunate because he's now got one Super Rugby season left before the World Cup. And if he's not being selected in the Wallabies for this spring tour, it makes it it's obvious that he's not in Dave Rennie's plans for that World Cup now. So yep. Yep. what happens now? Well, it might well be. I mean, there was a good shout from Nelson Dale when we were chatting um, with him about this, where he was suggesting that it could actually be a good shout for him to go back and get the full preseason with the Queensland Reds with the players that he's going to be playing with for the Super Rugby season and then get time in the saddle with the Reds and have a really good Super Rugby season. But I think at this point, the, the squad is basically picking itself at this point. And if he hasn't cracked the Wallaby squad going into the spring tour in a year before the World Cup, I really am not sure, unless he just absolutely tears the house down, that he is going to be picked at all for the Wallabies. Um, And the concerning thing for him as well is that this spring tour, and we'll talk about the overall squad later, but this spring tour, we don't have Marika Korobedi available. And he's our first choice. Probably Wallaby picked, if we're being completely honest. Um, so we, without him being available, we're now having to rely on our backups and our, our second or third choice wingers to start some of these tests on the English tour on the Northern tour. And if he's not even making the 32 or 35 man squad, then it's, it's a massive bit of work that he needs to work on to make himself available for 
when Marika Korobetti is available and, and we are going into that World Cup. Yep, 100%. Well, on that point, why don't we go through the Wallabies and the squad announcement which occurred today on Sunday. So, I mean, we're not going to go through and list every single player that has been picked. We might just speak to a couple of the notable inclusions. So, first off, you've got Tom Banks and Jock Campbell that have been brought in based upon Australia A performances. Banks obviously returning from his broken arm. So, that does shore up the number 15 decision a little bit more, although there's obviously still questions about whether it's Banks or Gamble. Uh, ben Donaldson has been brought in at fly half as well. Um, Bernard Foley also makes a tour. Matt Gibbon has been brought in as prop cover too. Uh, Langy Gleeson over Harry Wilson is a lot of the talk of the town at the moment. So Harry Wilson, for reasons that must have involved a really uncomfortable conversation from Dave Rennie to Harry Wilson. Wilson has not been picked, and so Gleeson off the back of some excellent performances at the tail end of the Super Season and for Australia A has indeed made the cut. Ned Hadigan has also returned back into the squad. Michael Hooper has come back from his um, time away from the game. Hopefully he's refreshed and with uh, better support structures and with everything he needs to be fit and firing physically and personally within this setup. Um, a couple of other inclusions as well. Mark Nwanganitawase has been picked too. Who else are we missing? Sam Talakai as well with some of the injuries to our um, props. Sam Talakai particularly has come in as well. So I've just said some of the notable inclusions. What jumped out at you, Mitch, when this when this squad was first released? Uh, well, the first thing I wanted to highlight was that, as we were saying of the Australia A Tour, there's 11 people that are selected in this squad that have, were on tour in Japan with Australia A. So... If you include um, some of the players that played, like Reese Hodge played Australia A previously in the year, that's 12. Um, but it's a massive inclusion for this amount of players that are coming through in the development pathways. So again, we're just talking around how good that that program is and um, the impact that it has on these players and getting them ready for, for the next level and the step up. Um, the biggest players that have been sort of missed out, Harry Wilson is one of them that you mentioned. I was personally expecting Kirtley Beal to be available for this tour, and I thought that he might have come in handy towards the end of the um, – if we get any injuries. He's just such a versatile player with a lot of experience. Um, so to not see him get selected, he mustn't be completely fit and ready to to, to go. Um, who else? Uh, Fraser McWright's another name that didn't make this. Sorry, oh, that's not he? true. No, I said is. that earlier, but he is. So that's my mistake. And I was going to say, um... actually, I did read. I did read his name. No, nope, no, nope, that was that. my mistake. So throwing and me under the bus. In an image that we're going to show in a moment with the players by position, I accidentally haven't included Fraser McWright. So I'll just own that now. I've just edited to make it <laughs> updated, but it won't be in a video for what we're about <laughs> to show. So um, I guess the, the big, the bigger mission that has everybody talking is Vunavalu, obviously. Um, so I think that that is completely understandable that that's going to take up some of the airwaves. But um, aside from that, I think we can really understand a lot of the choices within this um, within this squad. And I don't think there's anybody except for Wilson slash Gleason that you can really say is in there who maybe shouldn't be based upon previous involvement or public opinion. And the other, yeah, and that's that's an interesting point. Um, it, it really is the best squad that could have been named of the players that are available at the moment. Um, the other thing to, to sort of highlight is the selection of Skelton um, and Foley. So both of those mm. players are the Giddo picks, but we have a third place that hasn't been Banks. Banks yet. is a third. Banks is a third. Well, technically he's not because he's actually, he's on contract with Australian rugby until the end of 2022. So I think it's a bit ah. of a loophole of him ah, okay. being... Maybe they're saying that it is because he's, he falls into that category, but I, I did read somewhere that he is technically signed on with Australian rugby to the end of 2022, so he doesn't actually qualify for that um, international pick. So it'll be interesting to see once they get over there and if they pick up an injury or two on in the first few games, whether they do look at bringing in someone that is yeah. European-based. Particularly at tight head prop, um, that's, that's a, 
an area where we don't have depth with significant injuries. So that's that's quite that's quite important. So either way, I think that this is up there is the one of the strongest squads that we possibly could have picked. Um, obviously, there are significant injuries. I mean, if Karevi is available, Ikitao probably drops out. Sorry, not Ikitao. Um, uh, Fakedi probably drops out of the squad. Um, if other players like maybe Rory Arnold was available, then maybe someone like Nick Frost wasn't there, wouldn't be there. Um, obviously, Bell and CEO's unavailability through injury and um, going overseas also influences some of the uh, prop choices. But either way, this is a really, really strong squad. And I guess... When we're going up against for the first game against Scotland, when it's outside of the international window, so it's very unlikely that Scotland are going to have some of their key players um, like Stuart Hogg. That's that's a really key thing. And um, oh my gosh, Finn Russell, thank you. Number 10, Mercurial fly half. <laughs> um, that's probably for us the best opportunity we have to get our, to get our tour off on an incredible start. So the Wallabies need to start strong. They need to make sure they're applying pressure from the first whistle. And it hasn't been an area of strength because if the Wallabies enter the second half behind, they usually lose the game. That we're not good at coming back. So we've got to make sure that we hit the ground running early. And I think we picked a really good squad to enable that to happen. And the one thing I wanted to also say, it's great to see Michael Hooper back. And we've all been talking this year, when will he be ready? So fantastic to see he's back and ready to be selected. Um, He's touring with the squad. The rumor is that he's not taking the captaincy back. Uh, He's not. James Slipper is continuing. Yep. So James Slipper will continue as Wallaby's captain. Interesting to see whether James Slipper is still captain come uh, the first test of 2023, or we have uh, a more of an idea around a succession plan for who is the Wallabies captain by that point. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, great to have Michael Hooper back. The experience that he brings, he will be contributing to that leadership group nonetheless. Brilliant. Well, mate, um, I think that's basically all that I wanted to say. So anything final? Did you want to say oh, anything around the, yeah, the breakdown quickly, of the squads? Yeah. Look, I just thought I'd create this graphic. I will just quickly say again, I didn't put McWright in. My apologies. There should be one more within the back row there. Um, but it does just show you that I think with this tour we're really going to struggle with depth of prop. So if we get any injuries to any of our starting props, we're really going to be um, scraping the barrel in terms of international experience. And that's going to be worrying going up against some really strong front rows across many of the Northern Hemisphere teams. So uh, poor Slipper is going to be getting big, big minutes again. Um and we're going to have to hope that Taniela Tupo's calf is connected back up again and can make sure that his form picks up too. So maybe being away from the family might mean that he gets a bit more sleep uh, on his <laughs> tour. So maybe he gets a little bit more, um, gets a little bit more energy go, yeah. and ready to go. Uh, but again, at fly half, it'll be interesting to see the balance between game time that Lelisio, Foley and Donaldson get. Uh, you would think that Lelisio is probably the starting fly half for the first game and then moving forward. I would love to see Donaldson get some more minutes just to prepare him because I feel like we know what Foley can do and what Foley can bring. He's basically the poor man's Quade Cooper in Rennie's mind. Um, so I'd love to see Donaldson get a little bit more game time but think that it's probably going to be well as you getting the majority of the minutes. I guess when we have an eye to the World Cup next year, Donaldson's a good option for Australia A at the moment, and he's a good mm. option for 2027. Is that the next yep, World Cup? After? Yep, yeah, so is. 2027. Uh, I don't really want Donaldson getting too many test caps between now and the World Cup because we need to solidify who our best 10 is. At the moment, it's Quade Cooper, so then we need to work on our, our second best player, and that is Lalesio. And he needs to get as many test caps as he can under his belt to get the experience of playing the different nations from Europe, England, Scotland, Wales, um, Italy, they all play completely different styles. And so getting him exposure to those styles will get him ready and and up and running for the World Cup when it comes around um, this time next year. So I, I would love, as a Waratahs fan, to see Donaldson get some minutes, but realistically in terms of development, we need to be giving Alessio as many options as we can with fall, falling back on Foley, when we need to, if yep. we're getting t- tied in games and, and finishing things off that Lalesia might not quite be up to just at the moment, because at the end of the day as well, we need to win games on this tour. 
we need to get some consistency in selection. We need to win some games as well. Um, yeah, that's all I've really got to say around that. Was there anything else you want to say or should we dive into the locker room? Let's go locker room, mate. Very keen to get into these. So do you want to run through these questions, mate? Because I've spoken a lot yep. for a couple of the Fantastic. Seconds. So the first question comes to us from Mitch Rev Evans. He says, what's our preferred back three given the squad selected? Now, Michael Atkinson has jumped in and answered it for us. So thanks, Akko. He's, he's selected. <laughs> Kellaway, uh, Nwanganitawasi and Campbell. Uh, I'm guessing Kellaway for 11, uh, Nwanganitawasi at 14 with Campbell at fullback. Which way are you sort of aligning? I would probably swap uh, Nwanganitawasi and Kellaway around and then have Banks at fullback. Um, whilst I love Jock Campbell and I'm definitely a part of that um, bandwagon i think that banks's experience in the gold jersey and the he is absolutely rapid he has done something in the off season that he's had or the time away recovering from his broken arm maybe he's slimmed down or worked on his um acceleration of speed because he is lightning fast he's genuinely genuinely standing rapid. on a treadmill running with his arms broken Mate, he, he's great. So I was really, really impressed with his speed across the uh, games and the matches that he got for Australia A. So I'd love to see Banks get a go again. Um, but Campbell to also be an option within the picture and also to get some game time at 15 to show us what he can do on the international stage. Out of the teams that we have on the tour, who would you like to see Campbell uh, tested against? Italy. Which teams would you because... be comfortable Campbell playing yeah purely italy um i don't want him to start i don't want him to be the starting 15 against scotland because i think the importance of a starting the tour with a win is incredibly incredibly high and significant so i'd be putting banks there at 15 um and then giving campbell the italy game because if we can't beat italy then we don't deserve to be touring the northern hemisphere um oh, so. that's a bit harsh no, that's it's, a little it, bit harsh for italy look, i mean we it's harsh, but if we have any pretensions of being uh, able to get deep into the 2023 World Cup in terms of quarters, semis and the like, we need to be able to beat Italy away. Yeah, we, do. In, in, we, do. we need to. And yeah. so with that, okay, yeah, I was, I was being uh, hyperbolic before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just a bit harsh. A bit I hyperbolic. deserved a tour at all. I was like, come on. It, it, okay, it was definitely harsh. I apologise. pretty sure Italy beat Wales this year. You're welcome, aren't you? not for what you've just said, but for our chat tomorrow at <laughs> Squidge. Yes, I am. Um, so, yeah. Kelway, Nwanganitawase, and then Banks as my starting back three. Fantastic. Let's move on. Um, Able, Willing, New Zealand is just giving us a bit of a plug. So thank oh, you for that. Man. Great hearing an Aussie perspective. One of the better pods going around. Thanks for the content and work ethics. Bloody brilliant. Thank you, Able, Willing, New Zealand. That's, yeah, all, thanks, that's high praise coming from across the ditch. So we'll yeah, take love that. it. Thank you. <laughs> we'll take it. Um, Graham Lodge, does the Australia A performance of Peach and Marky Mark suggest Aussie rugby is better investing in more sevens program crossovers for the development of outside backs rather than poaching leagueies for Rugby World Cup 2027? Still a big fan of Vunavalu, but he has struggled to find his place. Yeah, look, I think um, if people want to hear a little bit more detail about some of the dynamic between sevens and super rugby or 15s, go back and check out our chat with um, the sevens coach, John Menenti, that we did maybe two months ago. And he he speaks really, really well about that relationship and that dynamic. So you got Corey Toole, who's going to be playing for the Brumbies this season at 15. Uh, you got a bunch of... And he's, um, already, he's already looking really good in the trials this year mm. for the Brumbies. He's got some good tries against the Waratahs. So he's going to be yeah, a big, brilliant. big So I, I guess it comes into the question to, to specifically answer Graham's question about kind of developing outside backs. Yeah, if we're looking at outside backs like four, 11, 14, 15, yeah, I think we probably should be looking at sevens because a lot of the skills required for outside backs are developed across the park in sevens rugby but if we're looking for 12 or 13s they're generally required to be a lot more physical and the defensive requirements in terms of organizing the the backline structure of the team are very different to how defensive structures in sevens seem to work so yeah. i think it just depends on a player that you're looking for 
I don't think we need to be poaching a fullback or a winger, but I, if there was a 12 or a 13, um, or let, let's be honest, if maybe the Trebojevic or um, <laughs> Latrell Mitchell wanted to come across, I don't think we'd say no. Um, but I, I think for, yeah, 11, 14, 15, we should be looking for the sevens, 12 and 13. If, if we're going to poach, well, okay, yeah, sure, but do it for 12 or 13. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, these next questions are more centered around the Wallaby squad that's been uh, released for the spring tour. So Cactus back says on Twitter, he's stoked to see Hoops back. He likes the thought of Jed or Ned at six with Skelton at lock. All roles feel pretty covered, so Skelton might fire. Missing Karevi is pretty hard. Uh, Noangani Dawasi could be a big addition to the back three. In form, big body, spot up for grabs. He also likes the locks. Um, they could be more diverse. They could the be most the most diverse, diverse bunch, bunch you've yep. seen. Workhorse Phillip, Giant Beast Skelton, Athletic and Skillful Frost, Old School Neville, Mobile Hybrids with Ned and Jed. Uh, any comments on any of those thoughts? Yeah, I think the uh, the loss of Karevi is still hurting significantly. And despite the fact that we do have some quality players there like Lalakai Fakedi and Hunter Paisami, uh, none of them are Sama Karevi. He's one of the best 12s in the world and could justifiably be in the conversation for a world 15, like number 12. So any team would miss him and we are missing him significantly. Um, so with that, we've already spoken about Noangani Tawase. I'm still not sold on our locking combinations yet. I don't think Rennie has figured out who he wants within that role. I do think that Philip has done quite well so far with the appearances he's had and that he does kind of guide our line out quite effectively when he is starting. So I think it'll be Philip and will be the kind of choices for the locks. Philip and who. Um but either way that sixth position is still up for grabs as well. And I don't know. It really will have an be interesting on this tour to see how much game time Skelton can get because he needs as many minutes as he possibly can to prove yeah. that he's quali- that he's worthy of selection in the World Cup for 2027. Uh, 2023, he's, sorry. He's only available for three games. He The Scotland game and the final game of the tour that I'm blanking on right now, both fall outside the, is it Reg 9 window? Yeah. Um, so Wales. he's, yeah. I think yeah, the, the Wales, Wales is the last game because okay, Foley's also so, not available for the, the Welsh game. Yep, so he, he's only available for three of the five games. Um, so it might well be that he gets picked for the middle three, but then again, that changes the continuity between game one and two. Um, so there's a few challenges to come from that, but he's he is one of the best locks trundling around in Europe at the moment. So I'm, I'm glad he's been passport. picked. Uh, with an Australian, no, but just in general, he's he's up there genuinely as one of the best locks in Europe. Um, this well, it's a bet now playing, playing in the URC, so. <laughs> yeah, but he's still based in South Africa, so that's something. Um, anyway, anyway, I th- I'm glad he's been picked, but it does lead to some broader questions that the coaching staff are going to have to uh, juggle. Really interesting to see what happens there on that point. Yep. Uh, Michael Tomlinson, I'd love to see Callaway, Campbell, Marky Mark as our back three, and then have Banks off the bench for cover. Also thought Uru might have gone close, but who do you have swapped him for? Um, <laughs> Gabrizel <laughs> says Skelton. Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts around that? Um, look, Uru just hasn't had time in a saddle uh, yet and performed. It's it's kind of that um, body of work that Morgs used to speak about. Uh, he's he's good. He'll get more opportunities after the World Cup, and I think he's going to be an excellent player for the Wallabies moving forward. Um, but I just don't think he uh, is going to be pushing any of the other players out at this point. Um, right. I th- maybe you could maybe argue for someone like Ned Hannigan, potentially, or Lange Gleeson. Um, but... I personally think that Ned, with the level of international experience, is a known quantity and that there's an element at international level where you want to know the performance that a player is going to put out when you pick them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd agree with those sentiments. And Uru, as great as he's been playing this year, this is as well his first year at this level. Um, So I think another year in Australia A will really see him be ready for the Wallabies come. Um, Maybe rugby champs next year, we might see him get, get a pick, but then... At the same Probably time, with the World the Cup, World yeah, injuries uh, pending. Um, yeah. But yeah, with the World Cup, you, you'd be wanting to select that squad and have that stability there. Um, last few comments from Gabrizel also says, "Where's Peach?" And at least there's no Bill. <laughs> yeah, and I think Beach is uh, Peach. Peach um, was probably pretty close uh, to being getting picked as well. So that was a particular um, 
particularly close one. It was probably between him and Noangani Tawase for that back three spot. Um, and Noangani Tawase has been excellent as well, so can't blame him being getting picked at all. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of the pod. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. And for anybody that is uh, still watching and still listening, thank you so much for getting to this part of the pod. It's been great fun. So we just want to remind you that we will have the live show tonight. By the time that you're listening to this or most likely viewing this, it will be on tonight at 8 p.m. Sydney time with Squidge Rugby. We'll be basically chatting a little bit about the World Cup in general before we get into a preview of the Wales versus Australia game. So it'll be make sure you get involved and come and chat through that. It's going to be great fun. So tune in YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, any of the main platforms. Just uh, search us up and it will come up for you. Fantastic. Well, thanks everyone for getting to this part of the pod. Um, we'll see you tomorrow night on the live stream. And if not, we'll see you then next week, same place, same time. We'll also do another video. So do get uh, amongst that too. If you are listening to the podcast, do check it out on uh, YouTube as well and let us know what you think. Um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. It's been a pleasure. Bye.